Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Renar Voice. I am one of the co-hosts, Robert Swatala, and with me, my dear friend, Jeff Mazzone. Jeff, how are you today? Hey, Robert. Good morning, bro. How's it going? Good. It feels like it's been a while, doesn't it? Well, you know, week eight, end of the semester, we had to slow down a little bit. Yeah. And plus, you know, you, you miss me if we go too too I long. Do. I do. I actually called you three times this week just because I, I missed you. Yeah. I know. That's okay. That's okay. You know, you're allowed to. <laughs> hey, you're getting close here, right? I mean, the light is shining bright at the end of the tunnel for you. Well, it's shining. I don't know if it's bright, but it, it's it's shining. I mean, you're you're right behind me, but yeah. Bit. Um, actually, this my wife this week said, let's sell the house and move to Richmond so that you can go to school at Liberty and we can be two hours from your mom and two hours from our best friends. Wow. And I was like, that's big. I don't I do not do well with change, and that's a lot. Jeez. Real quick. Yeah. So, she, I mean, I think she sees the light at the end of the tunnel more than I do. That's great. That's yeah. uh, good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that you're ahead of me, because then I can, can actually ask you all the things that you do wrong to right. learn from. So, yeah. that's, that's been a great arrangement. I can learn from your mistakes. I've, and of which I've made plenty. So, I will be happy to share those with you. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to, good to be on again. Good to hear your voice. Um, yeah. It's been, it does feel like a while, but we got a, a absolute treat today um, with our guest. And, and, and I usually say I'm excited. Here but, we go. But, I, was waiting but I, I am, I am way, way beyond excited because. <laughs> <laughs> this is like going back to the foundation of Renar Voice. Oh, the, yeah. the the birth of this idea and concept came from our guests. So this is a absolute honor and a treat for all of our listeners today. So Jeff, would you mind introducing our guest for today? Okay, so I was I was out for a run this morning and I was thinking to myself, what word is he going to use to describe the sensation that he's experiencing with today's guest? Because there's no way he's going to use the word excited because that yeah. just is disproportionate. It is. It really is. To what's going on. And and in my mind, I had a word, uh, kind of like a theme, and you just nailed it when you said birth. Because uh, our dear Dr. Krista Kirk is with us today, and she's the founder of our chapter. This whole podcast was her idea. We mention her in every episode, one way or another. Um, but also... Robert, if I could be so bold, I, sure. I would say that Dr. Kirk is very much a nurturer of our calling uh, yes. to this profession and is uh, certainly given of herself in much the same way that a mother would uh, in trying to form a legacy, form uh, the next generation. And uh, even though you're significantly older. Way older, yes. Than, yeah. <laughs> than both of us, but... I think we still uh, really have had a unique opportunity to not only sit at her feet, but really just, yeah, be nurtured um, by her. So it, it's about time that we've had her on. We've been building the momentum for today. For so it uh, took 16 episodes yep. to convince her that this was actually something real, <laughs> that uh, that it was going to last. So it's, uh, not too bad. It could have been much worse. It could be like 20 or 25. Right. Right. So, so we're, we're pumped. We're headed so, to the game. Yeah. So... For those that haven't met Dr. Kirk yet, you're really at a loss, but um, she is uh, the wife of a pastor, a mom of two, and an active member in the church community, and a core faculty member in the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program at Liberty University. In addition to being a licensed professional counselor, ACA New York Treasurer-elect, and the leader of Liberty's Chi Sigma Iota online chapters, 
One of Dr. Kirk's passions is to actively engage in advocacy efforts that help fight against the mental health stigma that exists in faith communities. To engage in these efforts, Dr. Kirk holds yearly training sessions for local pastors to help them understand mental health in context of their ministry and personal lives. And she also provides psychoeducational sessions for her local church community and hopes to normalize conversations surrounding mental health. In addition to researching mental health stigma in faith communities, she also publishes in the areas of multicultural competence, gatekeeping in the helping professions, and pedagogy and graduate counseling programs. Her desire is to help students, pastors, and her faith community become more self-aware in their relationships so they can also play an active role in furthering God's kingdom through having healthy bodies, minds, spirits, and relationships. So welcome, Dr. Kirk. What a joy to have you. Thanks, guys. It is an honor to be here. In in your defense, you asked me to be on early on, and I was like, um, I got a lot going on. <laughs> Let's push it down the road a couple months. So it's not that I wanted to see how well you did, because I knew you'd thrive in this. It was really just a matter of knowing my boundaries, and I'm glad we were able to make it work. Yeah, thank God. Thank yeah. God. It's Yeah, it's great. So let's get into it, Robert. Let the, let's just hit the ground running, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And again, thank you, Dr. Kirk, for being here. And, and I don't blame you waiting for a while. I would have done the same thing. I mean, <laughs> who knows how long this thing it's is going to really, go. It's so. been fun watching you guys do this, though, or I guess listening to you guys do this and the the bromance that has developed <laughs> between the two of you. It's, it really is fulfilling as a counselor, educator, mother, I suppose that's mm. what you called me. Yeah, <laughs> your mother. Oh my goodness, that's funny. A bromance, Jeff. That's that's a new one. Well, I'm yeah. glad someone named it for what it is. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Might as well put it put a label to it, right? All right. Anyway, so Dr. Kirk, we want to have you on because this is something that Robert and I really the first conversation we ever had when you introduced Robert and I to one another when we were forming this chapter was how do how do we be uh, Christians in a world that is not only post-Christian, but in very ways anti-Christian. And how do we reconcile that with our profession and the ethics of our profession and being able to enter into the, the lives of our clients whose very choices, lifestyles, whatever, may not only be different than what we would choose, but may also run up against the, the moral foundations of our faith if we are going to live our faith authentically in terms of faith and morals um, and what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. There's obviously uh, a sense of, uh, there's a framework of being in relationship with anybody um, and especially with the Lord. So yeah, we wanted to have you on because we just thought that you'd be a great person to talk to about how to figure all of this out. And obviously, honestly, Robert and I, we don't even know how to really frame this conversation the right way. Like, how do we talk about the things that make us uncomfortable as counselors yeah. who are Christians? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the number one conversation that I have with my students at Liberty. We are held to an ethical standard. We are held, and, and, and if we're honest, we're held to a standard that that should be a standard. You know, it's something that we should look at as our prime goal for competency. And it's a challenge for, and, and I don't have the answers either. I wanna preface it with that. I don't have the answers either. Um, and it's a challenge for students and counselors in training, those who are practicing to, to figure out what it means to be a Christ follower while at the same time 
not being of the world in some ways. And honestly, you know, I'm going to answer this question as somebody who has wrestled with this for quite some time now. And I'll, I'll answer it in the way that I have been able to reconcile who I am as a counselor and what my identity is in Christ. And honestly, I just, I think we need to remember as Christians that the, the things that we value, you know, we talk about values conflicts and the things that we value are really peripherals to who we value in some ways. And so that's why I think this conversation is more of a theological discussion than an ethical one in a lot of ways. And what is it that we value as believers? Well, the number one thing that we should be valuing is Jesus. And it's not the, the behaviors that follow after there is a conversion to the gospel. And so it's really important for us to remember as Christians, who, excuse me, who are counselors, that we need to make sure that we are talking to God more than we are talking about God. And too often, too often, especially those of us who are in um, full-time ministry or maybe you know you you volunteer at your church or whatever you're a mentor of some kind it's very easy for us to talk about who god is and what god wants and what we should be doing more than we're actually sitting with him and so that is the that is the main premise that i tell my students and my supervisees who struggle with this are you sitting with your father when you're wrestling about this stuff. And so honestly, I think this all just goes back to what the gospel is. What is the gospel? What does the gospel say about who we are? Well, it, it says that we are nobodies, you know, not to be super negative here, but we are, there's nothing that we can do to earn our place and to be with our father. There's nothing. And the gospel says, you don't need anything. You have an identity outside of the behaviors that you think you're doing to earn my love, to earn your position with me. And so when we go back to the gospel, I think it helps us remember that when we're sitting with people who have these values conflicts in some ways. We we have to remember that we ourselves are saved by grace. And the gospel is not moral conformity. It's not. That's religion. Religion says, do this and you will be a child of mine. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, there is nothing you can do and I love you so much I sent my son to come and rescue you from your own moral conformities. And so rather than gravitating toward the pharisaical tendencies, which I think is really what we end up doing in some ways, we say, 
well, as long as we say the certain things that we're supposed to do and we're supposed to um, separate ourselves in some ways, then we can engage with the people who are struggling, with the people who are coming into our offices. So we're not striving to be moral. As believers, we shouldn't be striving to be moral. We should be striving to see the character of God and the glory of his name and how that's intended in the counseling room. And to be honest, I think we're all probably sitting at home and there's probably two main topics that come to mind as we talk about this. And it's probably same-sex relationships and abortion. Those are probably the two really screaming values that are in your head right now if you're a Christian and you're listening to this and you're a counselor. And um, it's it's interesting to me, and this is where I admittedly say, I don't know that the answer is. What's interesting to me is that we put those two main topics at the front of our agenda when... Jesus talked about greed 10 times more than he talked about sexual immorality. Jesus didn't have patience, for lack of a better term, with only one group of people, and that was the Pharisees. The people who said, I'm, I am doing the right things. I'm saying the right things. I'm standing on the corner and saying all these wonderful prayers, but really you're babbling. And so those two topics I understand can be a real challenge for counselors in training to um, kind of reconcile with who I am and my identity in Christ and be able to be a counselor too. And again, I can't stress enough that this is just a reconciliation that you will need to come to on your own. And I'm speaking from my own heart in that I believe that if we put certain behaviors above a person's heart, meaning you do this, you engage in this, these values are different. Therefore, you, you don't, you, I'm, you're not worthy of sitting with me in a way, you know, essentially that's what we're saying, right? You're not worthy of sitting there. And I, I think it's too often that we make those our pedestal to preach against as Christians. And I don't, I really don't mean this pejoratively. I just think we need to highlight and gain some perspective on how skewed the weight is that we put on those two quote unquote sins. When, you know, who's, who's preaching against gluttony? Who's, who's preaching against the obesity? You know, those things that just God did not create or did not intend for creation to uh, live as though without the fullness of who he is. And so same-sex relationships, abortion, that is not how God intended creation to be. And heterosexuality doesn't get you to heaven. I mean, that's a reality that I think that we argue almost subconsciously as believers. If you're a heterosexual, you're more likely to be saved by grace. And that's, that's dangerous in some ways. That's dangerous because that's saying some so, certain groups of people we need to just kind of write off that they aren't helpable. And I, I don't think that's what the gospel has called us to. So that's a roundabout answer to something that I, I think comes down to just you sitting with your father and talking to him more than you're talking about him. And 
I trust that our God is bigger than what my mind can understand and he'll be able to help you navigate that that struggling, that challenge and being in the world and out of it. Dr. Kirk, there's there's so much in that. Um, and, and I know for myself, I, I wrestled with this concept of, uh, I'll call it ethics versus uh, Christian beliefs or values. And um, I love that talk to God more than about God. And I guess, I guess as you say that, um, I still wrestle with the, the, the practical nature of that, especially, especially maybe dealing with a, a non-believer client. Um, and, and not to talk about God during that session, but how do, how do we navigate that, that situation of, of essentially bracketing our values? Um, and and just being able to to maintain that value system but manage it in a way that you're still helping that that client and i guess it maybe if there's any experiences or examples that you have that where you've you've kind of had to navigate that water of yeah. of maintaining your value systems but knowing that that person is not in line with the same belief system that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's such a good question because it's like, all right, here's the theological explanation. What does that look like in the counseling room? And I just, I can't help, but, um, pull. I, it's funny because I, I grew up in a very Pentecostal background. And so everybody is, very woo woo in some ways. And I, I mean that with all the love in my heart because that's, that's my background and everything is very experiential. And then when I became a true believer, which is funny because I grew up in a pastor's home and learned about Jesus my whole life, but I never knew him. And when I became a true believer, I started to re read a lot of reformed theology. And so I joke now that I'm a reformed Pentecostal because, you know, they're on like two, so two separate ends of the spectrum. And I really do believe in common grace in a lot of ways, meaning I believe that God has given us common grace in medicine, in obviously counseling, in relationships. So he has graced us with it's almost like an appetizer of snippets of what the full meal is. And that full meal is him, right? So I believe, and I'm, I'm hesitant to talk this way. And I, when you guys asked me to come on for this, I really prayed through it because I don't necessarily think that all of our listeners and even I'm going to venture to say all of our faculty at Liberty would agree with this. And so I want to preface that. Everybody has their own interpretation of what I'm about to say. I believe that people can have wonderful, lifelong relationships with each other and have good relationships with each other, even if they don't look the way we think they should. So, Dr. Kirk, what do you mean by that? Well, the relationships that we have with each other are a reflection of a relational God. 
right? So we have a God who has created us with an innate need to walk life with other people. And so if I have clients who are of a same-sex relationship, I don't dare to say your life is doomed to be terrible because you aren't doing what I believe is, is what God created and intended for marriage. I actually think people can have great lifelong relationships with that are same sex. I actually believe people can have great lifelong relationships that are heterosexual, but both without the inner workings of the Holy spirit and the intention of what God created for marriage will not thrive in the fullness of what he intended. So when I said earlier, heterosexuality doesn't get you to heaven. I, I, genuinely think that we just when somebody comes into our office and practic practicality comes in and we say um you know how am i going to counsel these people i don't want to help this relationship i don't want to further a relationship that's going to go against what i think god intended i do believe there's common common grace in relationships so how do you do that dr kirk how do you reconcile that that's not what the bible says well i think we really have to go back to um who it is that we serve. So Ephesians 6 says, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood and against evil, but we are against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world. And so what I joke about being reformed and Pentecostal at the same time is that we can't take away from the unseen in some ways. And so if we believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us when we accept Jesus, then I believe that there is a world that I am fighting, fighting for that couple who's sitting with me. I'm fighting in another spiritual realm that I can't see because the Holy Spirit is in me. And when I'm in that session, I am praying, Father, let them see the true person of Jesus by just sitting here with me. And talk about implicit integration. I think too often we talk about explicit. How can I say the name of Jesus, use scripture as meditation, which is all so valuable. And for those of us who don't work in Christian agencies, we don't do that that often. Does that mean I'm not integrating as much? Of course not. And so I have to believe that when I choose to see somebody who is engaging in something that's different in morals or values or whatever you want to call it that i believe is what the gospel says then i have to trust that i am serving a god that is beyond my menial mind who can engage in miracles in this person and i don't see me sitting with a same-sex couple as me furthering something that isn't in God's design. You know why? Because I know that's not how he designed it. So it's not going to be furthered, but I am helping the part of their bearing the image of God through their relationships by allowing that common grace to be illuminated through relational health in some ways. However, that does not mean I am condoning whatever it is behavior that they're doing that's outside of, of what God intended. And, you know, just to add to this too, as an example, um, my son has autism. I know I've shared that with you guys before. 
And I believe even in his cute little four-year-old brain who doesn't understand what I'm saying, I believe that when I rock him to sleep every night and I am singing great is thy faithfulness, that I am fighting for him in a spiritual realm that is unseen. I am fighting for his soul because I trust in the goodness and the graciousness of a supernatural God that we serve. And the same is, is for my little two-year-old girl. She, I sing great as I faithfulness to her and she's talking away and she starts singing with me and she has no idea what she's saying. But I believe that she's fighting for her own soul and she doesn't even know it. And so you asked me for an example. I, I do have a couple examples in the counseling room, but I actually wanna give you an example of somebody in my church. Um, she grew up in the church We'll just call her Sally for the heck of it. And um, Sally is in a active same-sex relationship and has two children raised by both mothers. And she came to me one day just sobbing and she said, I don't know what to do. The only word I can think of is devastation to explain to you what would happen if I chose to leave this relationship. Complete devastation for my children. And I'll be honest, she's still with this person and I don't have the answers. I don't, I don't know what to tell her, but I do know that I serve a God who I can, I can represent by just being present with her, with Sally, because the Holy Spirit is in me and I'm fighting for her in a spiritual realm that I don't see. And so that's what it looks like for me in the counseling room. I believe that God is bigger than anything I can imagine. And he can perform miracles beyond anything that my little words can say. And that's what it looks like for me in the counseling room. I, I trust in his, in the mercy that's greater than I can understand. Dr. Kirk, as, as a follow-up to that, um, as you were saying that, the one of the, the kind of the images that that comes to mind is almost a, an idea of surrender. You're not you're not leaving your beliefs or your faith, but you're not enforcing them or pushing them onto somebody that may be different. But you're surrendering to the will of God. To, to, to his direction that you're not going to to navigate them on that path or direct that path you're going to allow god to do that but you're still going to walk with them regardless of what path they may be walking on and right. hoping and praying and surrendering to god's will and 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 power and grace and love that yeah. they will find the right path is is, is that kind of a a good summary yeah. of that yeah and i think that when you're talking robert i think of um, the Corinthian church and how, you know, he says faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we know the Corinthian church was really struggling, right? But what did Paul do in the beginning of the letter, first Corinthians, he, he, the entire first chapter, he's talking about how much he loves them and how much he cherishes them. And then he goes on to talk about, these are the things that need to be changed for you to understand the fullness of what God intended for you. And so it's it's almost cliche to say in our um, society, you know, we just need to love each other. Love, 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 love. Kumbaya. Right. In the in the gospel, when we talk about it, it's 
it's literally the same. It's the parallel process of the Lord saying, you are acting like a fool. You are doing all these things thinking you're earning my love. However, I love you first. I loved you first to send my son. And it's the same concept, I believe, exactly what you're saying, Robert. I think I think of the Corinthian church, where if we come to people and we say, well, you need to change what you're doing first, and then things will line up. That's just not the way that Jesus loved people. That's not what the gospel says about us. And I believe it's actually something that will turn away people from a Jesus that we are representing that is not the true Jesus. You know, that, that's really helpful, Dr. Kirk. Um, and it seems like you, you need to take it, you know, one person at a time. That's right. And, um, and, and leading with, with that framework there that you just mentioned, I think that it does leave one question. Um, how do we keep the focus then on the client's worldview, the client's values, while still being able to protect our conscience, right? Because that is a sacred and holy place that is the place where the Holy Spirit, where the Trinity dwells, right? And as we we grow in, in forming our conscience, uh, hopefully in, in taking on the mind of the Lord. So w- what does that dynamic look like? And I, I think if I if I can speak on behalf of 7,000 students at Liberty, I think that is the the question that we come with. Like, how do we protect that? Even though the situations that may actually present a conscience value conflict would be minimal <laughs> because mm-hmm. it seems it seems much more common that you can sit across from a client and, and be present to the client, be present to who they are, their life, their challenges without necessarily getting your own conscience involved. Uh, you yeah. can just be present and reflect. But what, what about those opportunities where it could become a difficulty? I think... Well, something that just came to mind when you were saying that is that I truly believe what Irvin Yalom says when he says, you bring yourself wherever you go. And although in the earlier stages of your counseling training, you're in your mind a lot, right? You're thinking, oh, am I doing this basic skill right? Oh, did I do this one? Am I, am I confronting correctly? Did I offend them? Was that a close-ended question? You know, you have all these things going on in your mind. And as you continue to become more comfortable in your identity as a counselor, I actually think it becomes easier to pray through situations that are immediately uncomfortable. And I'll give you an example. I had a client once who came in and she was she was Muslim and she wanted to use the Quran for her counseling sessions. And so me and this was probably maybe five years into my counseling so i wasn't super seasoned but enough where i'm like all right you know i got this and i felt the lord speak to me in that moment which i actually say very rarely when i feel the lord speak to me i say that very rarely because i think he speaks most through his scriptures so i really do genuinely mean this i i felt the lord say to me krista you bring yourself wherever you go And how can you sit with this person and be a genuine follower of Christ without having to compromise your own scriptural understanding? And in that moment, I decided that it was best for me to tell my client uh, some self-disclosure, tell my client who I am. 
I felt like we had a safe enough relationship to do that. I didn't think it would come off as though I was condemning in any way. And so I said to her, you know, I am a Christian woman and I have never experienced reading your sacred scriptures the way you have. Would you please teach me what this means for you? Because this is not something I am able to understand. And so I go back to the common grace part of this where I say, all right, well, how can I help this person through the biblical principles of counseling that we have and the simplistic, simplistic things like empathy and genuine listening, unconditional positive regard, all these things are biblical principles. How can I engage in the common grace of that and help this individual move toward wellness without compromising my own Christian beliefs and without imposing my religion although I wouldn't call it that, but you know what I mean? My religion on her. And so that for me, it looked like being honest and transparent and allowing her to have a relationship with somebody who could be helpful and therapeutic and at the same time, not embrace what it was that she was doing in her own soul. Um, and I, I really do think this all just comes back to what are you doing in the counseling room anyway? Are you... Um, representing yourself as a miracle worker? Are you trusting in the principles and common grace and everything that God has given you in the skills to help this person move toward wellness? It's all based upon what God has imparted for us anyway. Again, that that's really helpful too, because, you know, th this episode, a little self-disclosure has been a little difficult uh, for me. You know, um, listeners know that I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic and, uh, you know, our, our framework is, is vastly different. Um, and Dr. Kirk, even when we were discussing this episode, you did say that you're going to be coming from a specific theological background that may not be the same as everyone else's. And so, you know, even in the context of this episode, there's been some things that I know run against, you know, my own moral theological formation um, and how we read the scriptures. And, but what you just said there was really helpful because I can see how just because someone who I care for, you know, someone who I trust, someone who I look up to, that they could speak something that runs against my values that I, I need not be threatened by that, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think I was, I was messaging with Robert, like, this is a difficult episode for me, bro. I, I don't know. <laughs> and then as soon as you just spoke there about your, your client with the Quran, like that kind of broke it for me. Like, it's okay for there to be a difference that I don't need to be afraid that I'm not going to lose something and that, yeah, that I'm not in danger, um, that I can still be present to the person across from me and be present to their values mm -hmm. in a way that's not going to compromise my own. And I can still love and appreciate uh, where that other person is. So that, that was really helpful for me. And then I'm sure there's listeners uh, of this episode that may not operate from the same framework as you or me or as Robert, you know, but I hope that in the context of this conversation, they can kind of find that place yeah. of, um, yeah. of security. And, and I think one of the things for Jeff, you and me, and you and I have had a relationship for about a year and a half now. Uh, you've been an advisee of mine. And so we've connected outside of just CSI stuff. And we've had this discussion before where I always preface it with what I said in the beginning, where you have to, by you, I mean the student, the listener, you have to reconcile who you are and who, what your identity is in Christ 
with what you do. And I have some colleagues that, let me tell you, I respect them to the utmost degree. And they will say to me, I'm willing to lose my license so that I don't have to see a same-sex couple. And theologically, I believe that God can work in me because I might be the only Jesus they ever encounter. And theologically, they believe that they are engaging in something that um, shouldn't be in a room with the presence of God, both of which make sense to me. And so I love what you're saying, Jeff. There are, you bring yourself wherever you go. There are differences and then there's core issues. We all believe in who Jesus is, what he has done and what God has done to reconcile our relationship and bring redemption to our souls. And that's what's important. And I think this is a great example of how you can have conversations with people. I mean, not just theological conversations, but political ones and obviously ethical ones and disagree and still learn, learn from each other at the same time, which I have learned so much from the two of you over the last two years. Dr. Kirk, I, I love that you bring yourself wherever you go. Um, one of the things that I hold very dear to, to my heart is integrity. And the, the reason I do is because I lost it. I lost all integrity that I had in my life and I had to fight very hard to get it. And so that concept rings true because I don't ever want to present myself as not who I am. And so that was very, very important for me to hear because I think that that's, that's, that's such a key element that we don't have to change who we are no matter what situation we're in. And it and it is a it is a, a kind of a difficult time to to walk sometimes you know in, in certain situations but I think it's it's so important to to keep that integrity intact because it is a precious gift that we have so thank you for that reminder on that and just all the the great wisdom um, and a thank you because we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't through your thoughtfulness, your guidance, your leadership, your encouragement. Um, what sounded like a wacky idea uh, to me and Jeff uh, it, that it was almost impossible uh, was encouraged uh, by you. And I can't say enough and thank you enough for that opportunity because through this, we've had a, an amazing time uh, doing it, but also the guests that we've had and what we've been able to learn and provide to others. Um, is something that I never could have expected or thought that I have that opportunity. So um, a very sincere and deep thank you for everything that you've done for us, as well as for CSI, our chapter, the university, and and others out there that you're talking and treating on a daily basis. So thank you so much for, for all that you do. Thanks for saying that, guys. I, I think... I think that this is what makes counselor educators thrive, right? So I invest so much time in grading and all the little things. And then I get to see two students do really well at something they didn't even know they could. So it is a reciprocation of gratitude. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and um, I'd love to, to carry on this conversation down the road maybe when we get to like what 32 maybe 40 episodes you'll you'll come back on and, and visit with us 
Uh, sure. Maybe we'll schedule, we'll schedule it for the end of what 2025. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but no, I, I thank you so much. And 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 Jeff, just real quick, we have some some other uh, episodes coming up. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about uh, some future episodes, just so our listeners are aware? Yep. So real quick, we have because uh, Robert, you're starting your practicum actually this week, so your site right. supervisor is coming on to speak about trauma. Yep. Right from a uh, kind of a Christian perspective. Uh, and then we're also having the venerable Dr. John Thomas, uh, who is a residential professor at Liberty, who has like three PhDs or something. And um, he is a certified uh, sex addiction therapist. And we've been we've been looking to get into that topic since the beginning, really. So I think we, we set a, a pretty high standard in bringing him in. So he's going to be coming in. Uh, in June. And then uh, we also have Dr. Kirk's cousin coming on, uh, Janae Spencer, to talk about biofeedback, something that kind of gets touched on here and there in the studies, but doesn't really get talked about a lot. Um, and I think is worth uh, spending some time on uh, anything that's empirically based, uh, but also kind of new and not very common, uh, kind of needs some love. So we're going to learn about that uh, with her as well. And we'll just keep plowing through the summer until we get to episode 40 and we get Dr. Kurt back. That sounds like an absolute plan to me, Jeff. Well, thank you again, Dr. Kirk. Thank you, Jeff. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in today. Please check us out on any of your podcast platforms, iTunes, Podbeam, Google Play, whatever you use. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe us so that you can uh, get notifications of all future uh, podcast episodes. So with that, thank you, everybody. God bless and have a great day.